Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, most of us remember where we were when we heard big news. I'll never forget where I was. I was sitting in the waiting room of a doctor's office, and I was on my phone looking at Twitter, and I could not believe what I was reading. And so I decided I would Google it, and there was a couple of websites out there confirming it, but the, the news was so new that there was not much out there. So I went to Snopes.com. Have you ever thought that something looked fishy and so you went to Snopes.com and you look it up to find out if it's true or not? And uh, I went to Snopes and there was nothing on Snopes about it because the news was so new. So I, I decided I would suspend judgment until I got home and turn on the TV because if what I had read was true, it would certainly be on television. And I got home and turned on the television and sure enough, the news was reporting Michael Jackson had died. I mean, yeah, that, that's not the news you were thinking I was going to talk about. You thought it was something really important, right? Um, now, maybe you, like me, had some doubts when you heard the Michael Jackson news. I mean, if I had read on Twitter that Michael Jackson's nose had completely disappeared, I wouldn't have doubted that. Uh, I would have believed that entirely, but I had my doubts about his death. And um, we often have doubts about things that, that we hear, and uh, we're going to talk about doubts today related to Jesus. Um, now, it, it, maybe you're like me and you, you had your, your doubts about the whole Michael Jackson thing. You're like, I can't believe he's dead. Um, whether you like him or not, whether you like his music or not, um, whether you like the hee hee or any of that stuff, <clears throat> you can absolutely say this guy made a difference, didn't he? I mean, he left a mark in the world. And uh, the music industry uh, is not the same because of him. I mean, uh, it, he, he did some pretty uh, remarkable things, whether you like him or not. And I'm not, I was never a big fan of his music, but uh, I would go, wow, you know, this guy, he's talented and he did some crazy stuff that no other people tried. I mean, who else could pull off one glitter-covered glove? Nobody, just Michael Jackson. It was like his weird signature thing, you know? And um, uh, uh, the reason it was so hard to believe that he had died is because he had made such a big mark. But can you imagine all the people who had been healed and had been touched by Jesus hearing the news? Jesus is dead. Jesus' death and his resurrection have had such a profound impact on history that history was cut in half. Time was divided into B.C. and A.D., before Christ and Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of our Lord. Now, secular scholars recently have been like, you know, we need to get rid of B.C. and A.D. because we, we don't want to make everything about Jesus. And um, so we have B.C.E., before Common Era, and C.E., Common Era. And uh, I don't care what you name it. You could name them Harry and Steve. The question I have is, who's the guy responsible for splitting in half? It's still Jesus. No matter what you call it, it's still Christ. No one has had a more profound impact on the history of the world. And just imagine living in Jesus' day. A little kid standing on the street, holding the newspaper, read all about it. Breaking news. Jesus went to a wedding and turned water into wine. 
Jesus fed 5,000 people with a happy meal. Jesus touched a leper, which nobody does. And his fingers came back, and his nose grew back, and his ears came back, and his skin was perfect. Jesus healed a lame man. The guy got up and did the MC Hammer Dance. Jesus touched a blind man, and he could see. He brought a dead man back to life. And then the biggest miracle of all, Jesus was dead, and now he's not. Powerful, powerful stuff. When you think about his death and his resurrection, it is just amazing to think that anybody could come back from that. How could anybody come back from what Jesus went through? On Friday, before he rose, he was punched in the face over and over with a bag over his head, and people said to him that were hitting him, prophesy who hit you. Then they ripped the beard out of his face in massive chunks. He was beaten with a whip called a cat of nine tails that lashed his back so many times it ripped off meat. It, it, it was, he was just gushing blood. It tore off so much meat that uh, his body was on the verge of his uh, uh, internal organs being exposed. Then they shoved a crown of thorns on his head. It was pushed down into those tender nerves all over your head. And like any, any uh, head wound, it bled profusely. Then he was hung on a cross with hammer and nails. And he died on the cross in just six hours, which was astounding news because nobody died on a cross in six hours. It usually took anywhere from one to three days for somebody to die. But nobody had been tortured before their crucifixion like Jesus had. Jesus was in such abysmal condition when he went to the cross that he only lasted six short hours. And then to make sure that he was dead, the Roman executioner took a spear, stabbed it into Jesus' side, in between his ribs, through his lung, into his heart, puncturing at least two, if not all four ventricles, pulled it out, and Jesus completely bled out. If Jesus had just faked his death or if he had just passed out, he didn't survive that last move. He was D-E-A-D, dead. And three days later, like Wolverine Jesus, he comes back, man, his wounds are all healed, and he's like, snick, snick, come on, bub. You know, I mean, if, if you like the X-Men, you know what I referred to. The, that's about three of you. The rest of you are like, this guy's a dork. Yes, I am. And, uh, you know, I mean, Jesus comes back from that. That is huge. Donald Trump thinks that he's good at making news. He's got nothing on Jesus. And that is why we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the day we celebrate the biggest news that Jesus ever made. And even though it was huge news, there were people then that had their doubts. We're going to read about one of them in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to read along. 
One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hand and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Ew. Eight days later, the disciples were there together again. And at this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Don't you think Jesus is hilarious? Have you ever gone into your house and thought it was empty, and then a family member was there that you weren't expecting to be there, and you're like in the kitchen doing your thing, maybe you're singing your Michael Jackson song, <laughs> and you turn around and then, oh, the dog. There's, there's your wife or your kid or the dog or something, and it just freaks you out. And uh, can you imagine? I mean, that's what happened. The disciples are in a room that's locked, and they turn around, it's Jesus. <laughs> Gave them a heart attack, right? And uh, Jesus' response to that is, peace. He's just all calm. Peace be with you. <laughs> Stop soiling your robes. It's all good. Um, I'm right here. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Thomas sometimes gets a bad rap. He's given the name Doubting Thomas. But is that really fair? I mean, can't that be said of all of us? Doubting Alan. Doubting Bill. Doubting Sarah, you know? I mean, we, we all have our doubts. Maybe, maybe you couldn't believe it when you heard that Mac, Michael Jackson was dead. Or you couldn't believe it when you got that diagnosis from the doctor. You could not believe that you were pregnant again. You could barely believe it when someone did something hurtful to you that you never thought would happen. Some of you might still be in denial about the fact that Trump is indeed president. We all have doubts, questions, and many people hear the story about Jesus' resurrection and they have their doubts. And I want to say, if that's you and you have your doubts about the resurrection of Jesus, that's okay. We welcome skeptics in our church because what we believe and what I think is absolutely conclusively provable is that Jesus did get up. That's not just opinion, but it is objective, uh, objective verifiable, uh, objectively verifiable. Now, uh, doubt, when you think about it, a lot of us have doubts. And, and uh, when you think about what doubt is, doubt is just negative belief. It's the same thing as belief, but it's believing something bad. I doubt my marriage is going to work out. I doubt I'll ever be able to lose all that weight. I doubt I could ever quit smoking. I doubt my boss is ever really going to give me a chance. I doubt my teenage kids are ever going to respect me. I doubt this. I doubt that. I doubt this. I doubt that. Whatever it is that you're doubting, I have good news for you. You have faith. It's just not a healthy kind. <laughs> you're halfway there. This is what I'm saying, because you're already exercising belief. You're already exercising faith. You're just believing the worst instead of the best. So being skeptical is an okay thing. Being cynical will make you miserable. So I want to talk 
to those of you who struggle with doubts. I know I'm one of those. How do you keep doubt from dominating your life? If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, you insist on finding the truth. Whatever the truth is, seek it out and be determined, I'm going to believe the truth. Thomas wanted to see proof. He said, prove it to me, disciples, then I'll believe. And then Jesus showed up. John 20, 25, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wounds on, uh, in, wound in his side. Look for the truth like Thomas did. But here's what I want you to understand about truth. Don't look for your truth. There's no such thing. There's this, this common thought in our culture that is just sadly wrong. And that is that you can determine your own truth and you should be your own moral compass. There's only one thing wrong with you being your own moral compass. You want to know what that is? Adolf Hitler had his own moral compass. And if you think that the truth is relative and that the truth is whatever you want it to be or believe it can be or you determine your truth then you have to intellectually, to be consistent in your beliefs, you have to say there was really nothing wrong with what Adolf Hitler did because it was his truth. If you don't want doubt to nag you for the rest of your life, you've got to be committed to finding the truth. Consider this. Christianity is the only major world religion founded on verifiable claims. Islam, prophet said, I am the prophet of God. How do we know? He appeared to me. Anybody else witness it? Anybody else see it? Is that something we can verify? Buddhism, you can achieve nirvana. How, how do we know that? Hinduism, you will be reincarnated. If you live a good life, you're going to come back as something better than you are now. Maybe you're a richer person or a celebrity or something like that. If you live a bad life, you may come back as a cockroach. We can't interview the cockroach. How do we know? Atheism. Life started on its own. How, how, how do we know that? No one can prove that. You can't go back in time. So even atheists have faith statements. Atheism is built on a claim that is unverifiable. But Christianity is built on a claim that is very verifiable. And it's this. Jesus said, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to raise from the dead. That's a bodacious claim. That's right up there with saying, I'm the prophet of God. It's like, man, because if you're wrong, eh. But you know what truth has shown? You know what history has shown? You know what evidence has shown? That the resurrection happened. The Bible doesn't just make these claims in a vacuum. There are historical documents outside the Bible, government documents that talk about the fact that, uh, yeah, we killed Jesus and then 
Uh, three days later, he was gone. That's, uh, that's weird. There's documented evidence that not only in Scripture that the disciples ran away during the crucifixion, but his followers freaked out and chickened out, and they ran away. And then later, they're all standing up boldly and believing in Jesus again and now willing to die. What kind of a change would come over a person who was a total coward one day and then the next day be willing to say, I'm willing to die for this? The only kind of change that comes from seeing and witnessing the truth. There were 500 eyewitnesses at one time that saw Jesus. And I actually heard somebody in a university classroom say, well, they were hallucinating. All right, let's just say that somebody at the church with these uh, 500 believers showed up with the, the, the history's first LSD and passed it out to everybody. Would they all have the same hallucination? No. They'd all have different, man, I saw aliens. I saw chickens flying upside down. You know, I saw whatever, you know. I was a nine-foot-tall giant, and you were a bunch of little green people. I mean, you can have all kinds of crazy hallucinations, but you're never going to find 500 people hallucinating the same thing. Now, let's say that the disciples had a conspiracy. They hid the body. They took it away. All right, these total chickens while Jesus was being crucified, ran away. They run away one day, and then they come up with this crazy scheme. Hey, guys, I got this idea. We're going to hide Jesus' body, and we're going to lie to the world and tell them that Jesus came back from the dead. And the other 11 guys were like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And not only are we going to lie to everybody, but you've got to take it to your grave. And if they're going to stab you, kill you, torture you, beat you, whatever, just take it. Never tell the truth. And all 12 of them did that. Could you possibly believe that 12 people could actually keep their mouths shut? Man, we, we all know how the gossip game works, right? And if you start beating somebody and tormenting them and torturing them, for they'll, they'll say just about anything, right? Certainly, somebody of the 12 disciples would have recanted if they knew it was a lie. And the Roman government did their best to pry it out of them. All of the disciples except one were killed for their belief, their conviction, their certainty that Jesus rose from the dead. And those stories of the disciples dying, most of them are not in the Bible. You know why? Because Peter couldn't write the book of 3 Peter and say, hey, here's how I died. So these stories about the disciples' deaths are in other documents, historical documents. Archaeology has uncovered. And all, every time archaeology finds something about the Bible, I find this fascinating. It proves that the Bible was right. And yet there are people who say, nope, it's just not true. It's just another religious book. There is no other religious book in the history of the world like it. It makes verifiable claims that over and over and over and over again are verified with absolute certainty. 
making it kind of silly to say it's just a book of myths and fables. Historically documented and verifiable. Man, Thomas wanted proof. And many people today want proof. God is so full of grace that he has given us alarming proof. We just have to open our eyes. We have to open our hearts. and We have to open our minds to see it. To keep doubt from dominating your life, insist on finding the truth. And number two, I want you to write this down. To keep doubt from dominating your life, be willing to be wrong. Now, this may be the least favorite thing you've ever heard me say. If you're a man in the room, you're probably going, oh. And it's not because I'm a sexist, it's because I'm a man and I don't like to say I'm wrong. How many of you love going, I'm wrong? I mean, one of you, man, that is an amazing person right there. Most of us don't like saying that. Our pride gets a hold of us. Sometimes you'll get in a fight with your spouse and you know you're wrong, but you keep fighting anyway because you just don't want to admit it. Anybody ever had one of those arguments with somebody? I have. You have to come back later and I was an idiot. Forgive me, I was wrong. You have to willing to be You have to be willing to be wrong. Thomas was willing to be wrong. When Jesus said, poke your fingers in here, stick your hand in here, you know what Thomas didn't do? He didn't do it. He said, I've got to see that before I believe. And Jesus showed up and showed it to him, and Thomas was like, all right, before even putting my finger in the hole, I know I was wrong. He fell to his knees, and in John 20, 28, my Lord and my God, he exclaimed. Thomas was willing to be wrong. He had a soft heart and an open mind. You want to know something? The number one reason you are plagued by doubt is that you refuse to be open to other possibilities. You're closed-minded. You're hard-hearted. You hold on to your pride. What would it have been like for Thomas if he was like, yeah, right, Jesus, I still don't believe. Would he have been able to have a relationship with Christ? No. Jesus, my position is firm. I refuse to believe in you. I beg to differ with you. You are still dead. I don't believe in the resurrection. There's a lot of people that have that attitude. And you know what they don't have? A relationship with God. They have an emptiness that they can't explain, that can never be satisfied because they refuse to be open to other possibilities. The primary reason for broken relationships in your life and in my life is closed-mindedness and hard-heartedness. One of the reasons maybe you have trouble relating to people is because you're closed-minded about them and hard-hearted toward them. The key to making relationships work is being able to say, 
I'm wrong. And yet when you think about it, it is one of the most relationally satisfying things that you can do. Because as soon as you're willing to swallow your pride, I was wrong. Healing can begin. The reason you're not healing from your doubts is that you refuse to be wrong. You're not infallible. Look at your life. You've messed it up. Admit it. Verifiable evidence is there. Be willing to say, all right, I'm open to other possibilities. Some of you here today, you need to start by making things right with God. Your human relationships are filled with doubt, cynicism, and fear, but first, you've got to get your spiritual relationship with Jesus worked out. Your heart and your mind are hurting because you're holding on to pride instead of saying, I was wrong. You are God, and I believe in you. Thomas insisted on the truth, and he saw it, and he was willing to be wrong. And then he let the truth change him. If you're taking notes, write this down. How to keep doubt from dominating your life. Number three, let the truth change you. It's not enough to just know the truth. You've got to be changed by the truth. How many of you know that smoking is bad for you and it causes cancer? Raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand right now, now you know. Right? It's even on the package. Hey, this wonderful little product is going to shorten your lifespan. Surgeon General's warning. They ought to put that on the side of the Snickers bar, right? It's going to shorten your life. We have that knowledge, right? And yet there are many of us with that knowledge who still smoke. And I'm not judging people that smoke. I'm just saying there's a difference between knowing the truth and living the truth. You can know that Jesus raised from the dead, but if you don't let that truth change you, that knowledge doesn't mean much. Thomas was changed forever. John 20, 29, Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The Greek word there for believe is the word pistuo. And there isn't a, uh, an English word that adequately translates that word. We, we translate it believe in the New Testament. But believe is a wimpy word compared to pistuo. Pistuo is literally the verb for faith. And in English, we don't have a verb for faith. We say, I went running today, but nobody says, I went faithing today, right? There's no verb for it. But that's literally what this means. Thomas, you faith, you faith in me, which means absolutely wholeheartedly trust in me. It's more than just belief. That's head knowledge. We believe that cigarettes kill us. But if you stop smoking, you pistuo that cigarettes kill you. And there's a difference, right? You faith in it. You're betting your life on the fact that stuff's gonna kill me, so I'm stopping. 
When you faith in Jesus, you're betting everything on him. You're betting the farm on him. You are putting it all on him. And Jesus said to Thomas, you're putting it all on me. You're faithing in me because you have seen me. Blessed are those who will faith in me without seeing me. Think about it for just a second. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, John 3, 16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever faiths in him, bestows in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. If you've ever put your faith in Christ Jesus and trusted him for salvation, Jesus is saying, you are more blessed than one of the dudes that lived with me for three years one of my chums, one of my buddies. Think about it. Thomas didn't even want or need Jesus' autograph because they were pals. If you're best friends with Gene Simmons, you don't want his autograph. You just get to go hang out at Gene's house. Look at all his Kiss merchandise. If you don't know who Gene Simmons is, you make me feel old. He knew Jesus. That's a pretty significant blessing, isn't it? And yet if you know Jesus here, having never seen him, Jesus said, you are more blessed even than Thomas. Thomas believed completely in Jesus and he listened to what Jesus said and he let this moment in his life fundamentally change him. How did he change? Thomas went to India where there were 330 million gods that people believed in. That's a lot. How do they even keep track? How do you know what you believe in when there's that many gods? He went there. The Lord's calling me, man. I'm going to go change a nation. And he went, and he preached the gospel of Jesus in India and eventually paid with his own life. He died sharing the gospel in India. Now here's what's profound about that. Today, there are millions of Christians who trace their lineage in India, their Christian lineage, all the way back to Thomas. There's a state in India called Kerala. And in Kerala, India, it is 90% Christian, and in that one state, they have the highest literacy rate in the entire nation of India. They have some of the highest incomes in the nation of India, best standard of living in the nation of India. And it all comes back to the fact that they have followed Christ for 2,000 years. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. Don't you want to be blessed? I'm not saying Jesus is going to make you rich if you believe, but you will be blessed. Your life will be different. You won't have that nagging doubt emptiness anymore. All too often we know the truth, but we don't let it change us. 
Maybe you believe in the birth and the death of resurrection, but you're just one of those CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. I go to church twice a year, and I kind of just keep my faith to myself because I don't want to be too radical. You know you should grow more in your faith. You know you should become more like Jesus, but you don't do it. You don't let the truth change you. Maybe you recognize that you were wrong about something in a relationship in your life, but you're just too prideful to say, I'm sorry. You know you should, but you're not letting the truth change you. You know you should share your faith with people that don't know Christ because you are just a beggar who found bread, and it would be incredibly selfish of you not to tell other beggars where they can find bread. But you're afraid they might reject you, so you keep the bread to yourself. Maybe you know you need to be a more engaged parent but you're not. You know your debt is destroying your, and you're destroying your life, but you don't take any steps to eliminate it. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I know I should surrender my life to Jesus. I know it. But I just haven't yet. Stop it. Today, let the truth change you. Remember this statement. The primary reason for misery in my life is that I refuse to change. Is there something in your life that's miserable? 99 times out of 100, there is something you can do about it. Change. What do you need to change to eliminate that? Thomas changed. The kind of radical change that comes not from one single event, but from a series of connected events. Think about this, the life of Thomas. He was born a Jew, but he had, been, uh, had he been a Roman, he never would have met Jesus. So being born a Jew, he had this opportunity. The day Thomas was called by Jesus, Jesus said to him, follow me. He witnessed nearly every miracle that Jesus performed. He heard nearly every word that Jesus taught. And the evening just before Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was talking about going away and coming back. And Thomas said, we don't know where, we're going, where you're going. How can we follow you? And Jesus responded, you do know where I'm going because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way. No one comes to the Father except by me. He, Jesus said those famous words to Thomas. Then Jesus was arrested, tried, and killed, and Thomas ran away. When Thomas heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, he doubted. And then eight days later, he saw and he believed. Three years before, Jesus said to him, follow me. But on the day that he saw Jesus alive again, that's when he finally understood what it really meant. Now I'm going to follow you with everything. You've got my whole life. Just like God orchestrated events in Thomas's life to bring him to that point, God has orchestrated events in your life to bring you to the point that you are at today. He has strung many things together to bring you to this point in your life. Can you not see that God is pursuing you? He's been calling you just like Jesus called Thomas. Follow me. 
He's been calling to you for a long time. Maybe you believed with a little b, like Thomas did before, but you believe, but you never really believed with a capital B. You never faithed in him. You never pistuoed in him. You never really, really, really believed. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, it's probably fair to say, Alan, I've never believed. And yet right now in this moment, you're looking at your life and you can see how it seems like somebody's been moving the chess pieces around to get you to this point where you are today. God has been moving things in your life to bring you here now to hear these words. Maybe you feel like today's talk was just for you. You can't explain it. But your only sensible response is, my Lord and my God. Believe today. Believe. Stop running. Stop doubting. Stop demanding more proof. Believe because your life will be meaningless until you do. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.